This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malat. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 2. This season, the focus is on listening to the voices of our Black friends, neighbors, and strangers in order that we might better learn from their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. My guest today has a long list of credits to her name. She's an author, a creative, an educator, a podcaster. By the way, her books and podcasts are linked in the show notes as well as a public speaker, just to name a few. Robin has taught in the Long Beach, California Unified School District for over 20 years. She's worked a total of 30 years in education at various levels, K-12, community college, and university. She earned her BA in sociology from Stanford University and then a JD at UCLA School of Law. Oh yeah, and she does all that while also walking half marathons multiple times a year. She embodies joy. She's one of those people that after you spend time with her, you just feel better, happier, and more optimistic about people and life. From the second we met, we hit it off. I normally sit and visit with each of my guests for a while before we actually start recording for the podcast. I usually never leave those segments in the final edited version, but today, Our conversation right out of the gate was incredible. I wanted you guys to have the gift of hearing the whole thing and seeing Robin's genuine nature. She starts dropping pearls of wisdom before the show even started. Here we go. It's just so lovely to meet you, and I've really been enjoying your podcast. I want you to know that I'm excited to do this podcast with you. I, you. Um, I think your questions are provocative. They are, um, it, it's just, it's lovely. And I feel like we are kindred spirits doing the same work, just yeah. approaching it from different ways. So yeah. thank you for being that. I felt the same thing when I started listening to your podcast. I'm just like, but this is, this is what I want to do. <laughs> so I totally, that's why I'm enjoying it so much because I'm like, yes, but I love how we come at it from our unique personality angles with the different exactly. questions. And, and, uh, and it's beautiful. This is the, the beautiful thing about um, life is that scarcity is false. And, so true. Right. And so it, it's like, there's, there could be a hundred of us doing the exact same. I mean, we could actually do the exact same podcast and it would still be two, it would still be a hundred different podcasts. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I love what you're up to. I feel like we could just talk forever. Oh, I'm clear about it. I don't know if you've experienced this with all of your um, uh, interviews and your guests, but I just get to talking and I feel like each one is my new best friend and we could just sit and visit forever. And I'm like, oh, you have to go back to your family. That's right. And my people need me. So I guess we'll just have to continue this conversation later. But it's such a gift. Yeah. It, it means so much to me that people would take time out of their day. I feel like I'm giving the world a big hug. I feel like this is my way of just saying, you know, come on, all let's all come in together for this. And I just, it makes me so happy. I'll say this. The root of communication is commune. And Mm -hmm. that's what happens in a conversation. Souls connect. Ah, I'm going to use your quote. That was beautiful. Said like a true teacher. Mm. (laughs) I mean, you got your own original quote going already from the beginning. That's awesome. (laughs) Send it to me so I can use it. (laughs) I will. Robin, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited, intimidated, happy, and ready to learn from you. I receive this as a privilege to have this conversation with you. Absolute privilege. This is going to be good. All right. Well, we'll start off really easy. I promise. I'll give you the easy ones first. Who are the three people, dead or alive, (laughs) that you would love to have over for a dinner party and why? Oh, you say easy. Okay. so. First of all, Prince, 
okay, Prince. Um, how did he keep going and, and make all of that music and have a disposition where people are just like, oh no, he was great, he was great, he was great, he was great. And yet also had a personal discipline. I'm like, mm -hmm. Prince, talk to me. I want <laughs> like, I don't even want to be a genius like you. I just want to be in the arena that you're in. So talk to me. So that's oh, one. Oh, yes. Um, Shakespeare. I want to ask him one question. Okay, maybe five. But the first one is, did you really write all those plays? Uh -huh. Was it you? <laughs> Was this like a troop thing, a group thing? And you were mm -hmm. like, just, it's our company, so put Shakespeare on it. And then the second thing is, how did you get to the essence of what drives humanity to be crazy? How did you know? Like, how did you mm -hmm. distill that into these timeless plays? So mm -hmm. let's have a, you know, I think we should, I think personally we should probably have absinthe or something because I want you to let loose. <laughs> that would be incredible. I love the question that you have. I mean, that's so true. And I haven't thought to put it in those words, but yeah, it's timeless. Isn't it? The human condition. Oof. Genius. Okay. Who's your last person? The last person is Queen Nefertiti. You know, her, and I'm not even going to try and say her husband's name because I have not <laughs> memorized it. They were the first to, they, they did a revolution. The Egyptians worshipped many gods and it was Queen Nefertiti and King uh, again, I don't even want to insult anybody by trying to say his name, but I know it starts with A, okay? <laughs> I can see it, but I can't say it. Anyway, but the reason Queen Nefertiti versus the king is because, one, she's just so gorgeous, and every statue of her, she just, you can see that she has a regal presence and understanding, and her and her husband ushered in the idea of there's just one supreme God, and I want to wow. know- how did you know? Like, what made it so important for you that you and your king said, you know what? Yeah, I know. We've the God of this and the God of that and the God of this. Let me just tell you something, guys. There's one God. How did you get there? So when that was not the the train of thought in the time no, at that time. That was no. way out there. And she could have had a lot of negative consequences in her life oh, for saying that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. it, that's that's one of those things that takes huge guts and that's why queen nefertiti can you imagine all three of those people in the same room just beautiful and that's a beautiful insight into who you are your education runs deep your knowledge runs deep you have such a broad interest in so many things i can tell um tell me about your childhood what it was like growing up being robin and how you chose to become an educator my mother had me at age 20 and she was one of five children my grandmother to be honest with you it's a shame i'm like was she 10 or 11 <laughs> but um she had a bunch of sisters out here so i was my grandmother's first grandchild and none of my mother's siblings had children until i was eight years old oh wow so I had eight years of being the only grandchild, the only niece, the, um, the only daughter, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was spoiled. <laughs> All that um, attention for eight years. Let me tell you, you, you know, it's funny. I haven't thought about this in a long time, but the image that just popped into my head was I was, mm, I want to say seven or eight. and. I had a pink bedroom. I had the princess canopy. I had these gorgeous white, um, uh, dr this dresser set. And I, you know, and my mom was a single mom. She left my father uh, after uh, she was, after I, when I was under a year old because he had an addiction issue and mm -hmm. she didn't want me around it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I don't know how she did it. I really don't know how, but I, I'm going to guess is she, she had a lot of help because I was the only one. Mm -hmm. And then at eight, I had my first cousin. At 10, my first, uh, I mean, my only uh, sibling, my sister, okay. Naima. 
And, um, and so that's what it was like growing up. And so I, I really just, I was blessed. It sounds it. You're surrounded by love. Surrounded. Yes. Surrounded. That is why you radiate it so beautifully. Thank you. Yeah, because you can't give something you don't have, right? Ah, very true. Very true. That, like I said, blessed, just blessed. And, and I must acknowledge my uncle Arthur, um, the husband of one of my great aunts, and he just loved me to pieces. And mm. um, yeah. So you um, had a positive male role model in your life, even though you didn't oh, have your father in your life. Oh, yeah. Um, my uncle, Junior. Um, and even with my dad, though he was not around when I was young, interestingly enough, after I, um, once I went to college, I started to have conversations with him. So I would go and hang out with him and we would have these conversations. He was brilliant, um, but he was, you know, he was... Um, his addiction ran his life, but mm. to have a conversation with him, I mean, I still have his letters and his journals. And I mean, this man, oh man, wow. if, had he not been subject to addiction and, um, you know, lived in a time where he took it upon himself to be the violent person in the family. And by that, I mean, um, him and his siblings grew up in San Pedro. He was the oldest male. And there was a lot of violence, um, uh, gang violence. And so mm -hmm. he, he joined a gang and he, um, but he made sure that nobody in his family was ever touched. Mm. Mm. Man, I bet your heart just sinks to see that brilliance almost wasted. To be honest with you, it doesn't. <laughs> I'll tell doesn't. you what. How you did you work what? through that? Because. One, I allow people to, to be who they are. And I've got my own weakness. I mean, I'm happy and I'm smiling and I do have a good life, but you know, we all got issues, things we're mm -hmm. dealing with. And mm -hmm. um, I just think with him, I guess it's because I know the difference he made in his community. And this might sound weird, but he was known on the streets as Brother Bob. And you know, you'll hear, I interview some of my family members on my dad's side in my podcast, and you'll hear them say that if they ever had a situation where they ended up in jail, all they had to do was say that they were Brother Bob's nephew, Brother Bob's brother, and there, nothing was going to happen to him. But the reason why is that he was respected as kind of like, um, not a conciliere, but um, more like a mediator of sorts. He kind of, you know, yeah, he kind of held held things together for different groups of people and mm -hmm. made sure things never got out of hand. So he took care of you guys in a roundabout way, sounds like, and yes. the people who were dear to him and close to him. And the people, he, he probably, I, I would bet that he had a hand in saving more than a handful of young men from doing some really stupid things. Wow. So you see the good Yes, and what happened you're choosing yeah. to see the good in his life even though it didn't meet yes. traditional expectations exactly exactly and that's a beautiful way to look at people i like how you said you let him be who he is i mean that is a freedom we need to give people more often mm -hmm. let them be who they are wow uh -huh. i'm going to be meditating on that for quite a while because <laughs> I think there's a quote, maybe, I don't know who it's by, but mm -hmm. says that um, the greatest gift you can be, give someone is to let them be who they are. I have mm -hmm. to find out who that said that. True. But we don't yeah. want to. We have these expectations, don't we? Uh. Mm. Okay. Um, which brings me to the question I didn't answer, <laughs> which is how did I become an educator? Yes. And so I'll tell you, because I didn't want to be who I was. And so I resisted being an educator. I taught my first year, um, about a year or two after graduating high school. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be the big stuff, you know, cause you know, me and my girlfriend, she was my roommate. Um, we both attended Stanford, we graduated and we were gonna be all that. Mm -hmm. And then I started teaching, you know, as a substitute and then a long-term sub and I loved it. But I was like, that's not enough for me. So I went to law school and let's just say long story short, three years later, maybe four years after that, oh. I, I had, I'd been out on disability for depression. I mean, the kind of depression 
that was clinical and literally disabled. Like if I get up and go to a movie, like walk across the street, like two blocks and sit in the $1.50 theater. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> and you know, then that was like, I spent my whole day preparing for it. And then I'd spend my oh whole night. My. Yeah. So like real depression. And, and it was because I kept resisting my calling and I was working in different areas of education. I was assistant director of admissions for a while mm -hmm. and just crazy stuff that really didn't match me. Mm -hmm. And so brought to my knees, mm -hmm. I finally bought this book, Experiencing God. I was making just enough money to survive by mm -hmm. grading exams. Um, the long and short of it is I end up in a shuttle that I shouldn't have been in that wasn't even going to my hotel. The guy looks through his rearview mirror and says, are you a teacher? And I'm like, what, do I stink? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, well, kind of. And so I tell him my long-winded story about how I don't have my emergency credential mm -hmm. teaching more, and I don't have this. He goes, you need to call my fiance. And I was like, for what? And he said, you know, she works for the California Commission on Teacher Credentialing. Just call her. Promise me you'll call her. Promise me. And I'm like, okay, I'll call her. It's Sunday. He goes, you gonna call her tonight? I'm like, okay, you're tripping. I call her that night. <laughs> and she basically ends up getting me my first uh, full-time job as a you know real contract educator she clears up turns out it wasn't a big deal to get my credential ready mm -hmm. and i have not left teaching since and i have loved it ever since all because of a chance meeting on a wrong bus which the connection I you made look i i didn't even tell you that i wasn't even supposed to be there because i was booked to, I, what it was was i flew into sacramento to spend a week grading these exams and I got on the plane. They said, oh, we're overcrowded. Is there anyone who give up their seat? We'll give you a first class. I'm like, okay, first class from LA to Sacramento. Doesn't sound like all that much, but I'll take it. Oh yeah. So I, I didn't arrive at the exact time I was originally scheduled to. Then my shuttle never showed up. It was one of the hottest days in Sacramento. And it was, you know, and then he's like, hey, I see you, you, you look kind of hot. What, where are you going? I said, well, my shuttle didn't show up. It's for this hotel. He goes, oh, that's down the street from mine. Whoever I was supposed to pick up, they're not here. So I'll just take you. That kind of thing. And again, did I mention the book I was reading was called uh -huh. God? Mm -hmm. There so are no I, accidents. Said, no, are there? No accidents. And that's I a beautiful story. Well, and I just, I honestly can't picture you in the throes of depression. But isn't um, that what everybody says? I mean, you've touched the bottom and been able, you can come back up because you know the depth, your depth now, right? And yeah. um, your joy comes from a place deep within because you've experienced such sorrow. I don't know if that's even the right word. Depression oh. is more than sorrow, isn't it? Oh, it's way more than sorrow. I, I will honestly tell you, um, my first year of law school, uh, at the end, it was also after the 92 riots, I was just done with humanity. And I kid you not, I was like, God, I am not going to take my life. I'm not. But I think I'm done down here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not I can saying, understand. Right? And so yeah. I've had multiple bouts of, of depression. It's like, you know, I'm clinically diagnosed. And uh -huh. it, it takes a lot of managing, uh -huh. um, just managing what I expose myself to and I walk a lot of miles like there's a lot to do to manage it and I'm happy that I get to manage it there's a physicality to it too right like I'm sure you'll speak to later about all your walking um, <laughs> we can touch on that for sure. sure that's beautiful I love I love that you're bringing attention to that and making mental health just as an important issue as your emotional oh, yeah. health spiritual health physical health it's all tied together, isn't it? It is. Oh. And so now you said you are an educator for an alternative high school? Mm-hmm. Continuation high school. So it's all students who don't like school. And I, I say don't like school. Please hear my air quotes. Um, they may have um, duties at home. They may be forced to be the parent in the home, mm -hmm. um, maybe because they speak English and they have to go with their, you know, mm -hmm. older family members to doctor's appointments and other things, or it could be that their family is dealing with homelessness and so they miss a lot of school. Mm -hmm. They have asthma, they have a kid. There are all kinds of reasons. Um, the people think of my school as, you know, where they send bad kids. And it's really where we send kids for whom um, their circumstances are just not great. 
Yeah, it sounds like they don't fit in the box. And that's okay. Exactly. There's times yeah. where none of us fit in the box, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you can be that person there for them. That's well, this, the funny thing is, as I, as I answer these questions with you, I kind of forget my own experiences that have me relate to them. So thank you. Oh, good. Well, yeah, I want to get, I want to touch on some of those. Some of, if you have experienced any, has racism touched your life directly or has it touched it indirectly? Um, that feels like a very stupid question from on my part, I feel like, because like, I would imagine, I'm, I can't speak for all white people in general, but mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. I assume that every black person has experienced racism, has been touched by it directly. Is that a false assumption or could you, could you teach yeah, me? Yeah, I'd love to speak on that. You know, and keep in mind, I can only speak for myself and my own view, but mm-hmm. my, my view would be that there are probably some Black people who have not experienced racism. And I know because I've interviewed Black men for whom their first experience of really um, getting the experience of racism happened in their late teens or even in their 20s. And mm-hmm. usually it's from living in a maybe a rural, a rural community where mm-hmm. everyone's accepted or a small community. Or um, I remember one guy I interviewed, he just grew up in Oakland and he had a Latino friend and a white friend. Um, in fact, I remember it was a Latino male friend and a white lesbian female friend. And that was just his life. And, and you would think, well, it's Oakland. Duh, I know you did. But, you know, how people interpret the things that happen to them yes. varies with their level of awareness. Yes. Um, and so I know that just like I've heard some of the men I interviewed talk about instances where all of a sudden they were like, oh, hold on, wait a minute, that was racist. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and so if you're not aware of it, they just kind of pass on by. The thing is, is that it's more the common little things and those common little things add up. And Mm -hmm. so you will find that African-Americans may be hypersensitive to uh, acts that occur as racist Mm -hmm. because so many have happened over time that it actually becomes your view. Just like the opposite is true, where if you haven't had them or your parents didn't talk about it, you didn't recognize it, you might actually grow up thinking, well, of course we had a black president. Well, of course Mm -hmm. I can be anything I want. Mm -hmm. Of course. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. there's just the whole range. Like there's there's no one way. It, It really has more to do with, I would say, the person's ability to perceive it, willingness to perceive it, and awareness of it than whether or not it's ever happened to them. Okay. So many people that I've been speaking with, just it's kind of like they're saying, these are the waters we swim in, and Mm -hmm. sometimes we recognize it and sometimes we don't. Thank you for correcting my assumptions on that. I had a lot of assumptions corrected in my first season as well, so (laughs) I'm not surprised. This is why I'm doing this, because you don't know what you don't know, right? So you have to humble yourself and ask the hard questions and Mm -hmm. look stupid in front of others, and I'm good at that. (laughs) I only interview black men. And um, for the get uh, for the listeners, you know, I'm not a black man. <laughs> I'm a black woman, and you know, you might assume that I would know things or understand, but I can assure you, I humble myself in every interview. The things that I discover and learn, and mm-hmm. and I love that you said this is why you're doing it because I love sharing it, and I want other people to get something out of it. But really, the conversations they are. They're, I mean, I'm selfish. They're really there for me, and I'm just delighted to share them with other people. I feel 100% the same way. It is. It is so for me. I've thoroughly enjoyed each guest I've spoken with and make that connection, and you're so right. I, I want to take the time while you've spoken of it to mention your podcast. Robin is the podcast host of 365 Brothers, right? Yes. And would you like to expound on that? Because I just want to say I've been listening and I'm hooked on her podcast already. If you <laughs> haven't tried it, please do. I, I would bet that when, you know, two years out, we're going to see a spike in podcasts that were started 
after the George Floyd um, incident. You mm -hmm. add that to COVID and having a little more time at home. Mm -hmm. um, but in short, I just was under the impression that uh, too often Black men are seen through um, the lens of different stereotypes and are generally one-dimensional, mm -hmm. um, including for myself. So I just was like, you know, I, this thing wouldn't let, if I'm honest about it, the idea popped in my head and I was like, mm -mm, no. And then it popped it in again the next morning. And I was like, no, I don't think so. That sounds like a lot of work. And then the third day it was still there. And I was like, okay, I got it. <laughs> you should know by now not to argue with yourself. Those, that does not work well for you. You have to give in to who you are, right? That is well said. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And it has been just a ride ever since. And in short, in the podcast, my, I'm going to interview 365 men. I've interviewed 45 and I'm looking forward to continuing. It'll take me about three and a half years to do that with publishing two episodes a week. And I'm excited. That's a ton of work along with a full-time job. I commend you. Way to Thank go. You. Thanks. Well, it's easy when it's fun. <laughs> that's the truth. So did your mom or your grandma or your uncle ever sit you down and talk to you and say, things are going to be a little different for you than they are for the rest of the people in the United States and talk to you about oh. racism? Did you ever have that discussion? I'm going to tell you something that um, could be jarring for some. I, I hope not. But I actually, uh, they didn't have the talk with me. And I honestly say one of the reasons I have this big old smile on my face some of the time is because I grew up with reverse uh, bias. Uh, my family joined the Nation of Islam that's under, under the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, the same mm -hmm. organization that Malcolm X belonged to. Mm -hmm. um, they joined when I was in second grade. And I mean, if you are wondering about, if any of you have ever heard of it and you've heard these stories, you know about Farrakhan and all this mm -hmm. stuff, like, yeah, we were taught white people are the devil. Not mm -hmm. like kind of mean. No, the devil. Yeah, so, literally. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I'll even tell you this. At one point, we were, we, I remember, and I'm not going to say this was doctrinal, like this was something that they actually taught. But I am going to say in the circle of people that were there, there was this, they even went this far where they said, you know, well, the reason white people put ketchup on their fries is because they're used to being in the cave and eating raw meat. See, they weren't civilized. So that's why they're trying to replicate what they know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, my point being, when you grow up at that age, when you come of age in that background, it's kind of like it, you're very much aware of racism, but my parents didn't say, okay, they didn't say, so sometimes you're going to have to be careful. It was more like, look, these dumb butts are going to do this and gonna do that. So you just need to know. And it's, and they're crazy. They just crazy. So, you know, just understand they're crazy. <laughs> and it made a difference because from that moment, and we left, by the way, I think I actually went to Muslim school for a year and a half. And then by fifth grade, I left public school in second grade. I returned in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it was, and I was in a mixed, uh, mixed school. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, my teacher, whom I love, Mr. Rents, had, excuse me, had him for fifth and sixth grade. And so there, there were some kids who were like really smart and he would put us aside. And so we'd get, when other kids were given their vocabulary, he would let us go in this little back area and find our own words and, and memorize. And I remember I, I only remember two, but one was acetosalicylic acid, which I knew was aspirin, and then uh -huh. deoxyribonucleic acid. So I knew DNA and aspirin, like, you know, in fifth grade. That's awesome. Right? And he was very generous in letting us do mm -hmm. that. I share that because everyone who was in that group was white, and all the other black kids were in, you know, in the main class. And I really do think that although I am in no way an advocate for demeaning any group, I will say that because of that particular background, when I went to high school, I didn't see myself as less than. And I do think that 
it is common, even if not admitted, for there to be an inferiority complex mm -hmm. that can develop um, in the African-American psyche. I can completely see what you're saying and understand why and how it's there. Speaking to the uh, Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam, I'd, I'd heard bits and pieces over the years and, and read about Malcolm um, X and had heard and learned little bits, but the most in-depth I'd learned about it was from reading Ibram X. Kendi's book. And um, when I learned of the depth of it, like you were explaining, um, how white people were viewed as the devil, I was just floored. I was like, wow. I, I didn't know this was a thing. Like oh, yeah. I was real, just literally floored. Um, but it's good to learn. I mean, it's, these are just things you need to know. People are out there walking around with these ideas in their heads, and and the more you understand different ideas that are out there, the better conversations you can have with people. You can understand where they're coming from. You don't have to agree, but you yeah. have a better understanding, right? Do you have negative or positive feelings towards police? Have you had any interactions that make you afraid or have you only had positive interactions? You know, I have to say that for myself, I have not had any negative interactions. Um, and when I say that, I, I mean in terms of where I would experience as race-based because, um, well, uh, this was something I just recently shared, which is um, in high school, we, uh, four girls, a uh, friend was driving and we were going about 40 miles out to um, our Six Flags, uh, which is Six Flags Magic Mountain. And on the way, it was around Halloween time. We got stopped by the police. He asked for license registration. She's freaking out. He comes back. He literally has candy in his hat. He, he, had <laughs> his, he came back with a helmet full of candy mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. said trick or treat. Mm -hmm. And I love that I just recently shared that because when I, you know, when you asked me that question, what I recently realized is that that first interaction, I think, um, put a rose colored tint on my glasses. It doesn't mean that I didn't know what was possible with the police, but um, I, that, that did, that did color what it what it mm -hmm. was for me to interact with the police. They might have candy. <laughs> they might have candy. They might well, have candy. <laughs> that makes sense. It sets the tone for all the rest Doesn't of your it? interactions. And I've heard brothers say that when their first one was something terrible, like you know mm -hmm. the police interrupting you while you're playing a game of tag and telling you you know and slamming someone's head down. Mm -hmm. Well, that colors their perception for the rest. You know, and again, I want to say I, I think. Earlier, we talked about how you perceive events. And it's entirely possible that I was stopped and an officer was giving me signals that it could have been a race-based stop and it just completely went over my head because, mm -hmm. you know, I really did speed a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe you deserved so, it. <laughs> so when they stopped me, generally speaking, I, you know, officers, please don't listen to this and start looking for me. But generally speaking, if they stopped and said I was speeding, it was because I was speeding. And so mm -hmm. I didn't have, I, I guess I would say I gave them enough reason that I didn't ever have to suspect it was something other than what I actually did. Yes. Um, and when they gave me the ticket, I will say this, I, I feel grateful that, um, that the examples I had growing up all around would have me be the kind of person who would say when the officer gave me a ticket, like I would honestly say, yeah, all right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. One time, this is the last one I'll tell you one time. No I, I got pulled over and I was speeding. This was maybe 10 years ago, maybe eight. I don't know. And, um, so he pulls me over, he walks up and he goes, uh, you realize you're speeding? And I was like, yes. I said, you know, I seem to have to get a ticket every two or three years so that I can go back to traffic school because that's the only way that I remember all the rules. So, <laughs> you know, no, this is just, and he's like, and he's like, okay. And I go, no, 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 it's perfect. You know what? In fact, thank you because I'm glad you were at least nice about it. 
You were almost begging him to write the ticket. <laughs> well, keep in mind, I only said this after he went back and came back with the ticket. Oh, okay. <laughs> he oh, was there with the ticket for me to sign. I was like, don't worry about it. You know, yes, I, yeah. You know what? I guess I just have to go to traffic school every, every few years. <laughs> hilarious. You know, what I see in you is the way you view the world. The way you see anything is the way you see everything. And you seem to have like we were talking about before uh, we started recording was you said that there is people tend to see the world as in a, a view of scarcity, but really it's a world full of abundance. And yeah. I see that in you, you see abundance everywhere you go, you, and you see what you look for then. So that makes yeah. sense that you're, you're not seeing these instances because you're giving so many people the benefit of the doubt, but you're also seeing the good and the beauty and everything and everyone. Yeah. And I don't know you, but that's what I can tell from just talking with you. <laughs> Talk to me about microaggressions or these subtleties that, that happen on a fairly regular daily or weekly basis. I will give you three. Okay. Number one in high school, uh, Stanford sends all of its admissions off on the same day. At least they used to. I don't know if they still do. Um, I was not aware of that, and I guess other people were. In short, um, I was a graduating class of 700 and something. Um, I was the only one who got accepted to Stanford. Maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 people applied. Who knows? And um, by the afternoon, you know, everyone asked, oh, what, did you get in? Did you get in? I'm like, yeah, I got in. So fifth period after lunch. I'm sitting behind this kid. I don't remember his name, but I do still remember his face. And, and by the way, math was my favorite subject, my absolute favorite subject. And this was college algebra. And he raises his hand and he says to the teacher, why did Robin get into Stanford? Nobody else did. And the teacher says, they have special programs for black people. I will say, it is, it is probable, I will tell you, it is probable that affirmative action played a role in my admission into the School of Engineering at Stanford University. Um, but I will also tell you that I worked my ass off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, when they factor in, you know, different things, like I could justify it, and, and, I, and I almost saw myself going down that route. So rather than justify it, let me just say that his asking the question, the teacher saying it like that, um, that occurs for me as a micro. It was hurtful. Like it was hurtful for years. For years. He because had been my favorite teacher. It just in like one fail swoop just washes out any of your effort, hard work, knowledge. It just wipes all of that out. Well, it sends me to college going, do I really deserve to be here? Do I really yeah. deserve to be here? And here's the thing. I graduated, so I know I did. But the it it's one of those so that was one mm -hmm. the second happened um actually also this one happened at stanford it was my last um it was my second to the last quarter i was staying at a graduate dorm i was taking classes in the summer and um i had this kind of nice like i i didn't splurge a lot but i did splurge on this double cassette uh, stereo system because I love to listen to good music, right? Mm -hmm. And so as I'm moving out to drive back home, my little Toyota Tercel down the five freeway back to LA, I'm, I needed some help with the stereo. Everything else, I've always been someone who carry all the boxes, like I can do it. I don't need your help. So, mm -hmm. But this particular item, I needed some help. So I asked these two guys to help. If You know, I'm literally just saw two guys walking around say hey yeah uh, guys i'm moving out could you help me i just got one big box and they're like sure so we carry it down and then as we load in the car one of them says hey you didn't steal this did you and i know that he was joking i know he didn't think i did but the fact is would he have said that to anyone who wasn't black mm -hmm. no mm -hmm. and and I, you know, it didn't hurt when he said it. I, I, I honestly just kind of laughed it off in the moment, like, no, duh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because I was, you know, like, I was like that. And so, you know, come on, are you serious? I, <laughs> <laughs> but at the, you know, later I, I thought about it and I was like, that was dumb. Like, 
wow, that was something that would only happen that they, they would not say that if I looked a different way. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't say it. So true. Karina. Anyway, the last one happened just months ago since COVID. I was at a Target and um, I was buying some truly hard cider and I always go through the self-checkout. I love self-checkout. Um, mm -hmm. But it turns out you can't buy that. You can't buy hard cider. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I had already stood in this long line. This was like when the stores had first opened. I needed yeah. that hard cider. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. The, the stores had just opened, and so there's these long lines. So I wait, and I get up to the front, and, and here was the worst part was I actually hadn't even gone in for the cider. I remember it was sitting near right before you go to check out, and so after standing in the line, I was like, oh, hard cider. I'm going to get some of that. So I pick it up, and then they're like, oh, you can't buy here. And at this point, you know how you get attached once you, you hold it, and it was like, yes. Eh. And yep. so I go over to the other side of the store where they have the line for people who need to check out. And that line is all the way to the end of the store. I kid you not. Oh, man. So I look at it, and then I walk back to the, my original line, and I say, hey, uh, what did I I asked her. I don't even know. I went back and asked something. And so, or maybe I just walked over, like, maybe I won't get it. And then I thought otherwise, and I said, no, I'm going to get it. So I go to this guy who's managing that line for the, you know, uh, manned checkout. Mm -hmm. I say, hey is there any way that I could just go next? Because I, and I couldn't even say anything else. He goes, I just saw you walking around. You were like, no, no, no. But the way that he said it, it wasn't like, it was an accusation of you're obviously up to no good and you're not going to get away with being up to no good here. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, are you serious? Mm. Are you? And it, it was the whole tone. And I was just like, whatever, dude. So I didn't get the cider. I went to the other line checked out without it and then and, and but when I went back I said to the woman I go you know what I'm not going to get the cider can I just get my other my can I just go in next because I mm -hmm. already stood in line she was like yeah no problem so I checked my stuff out and so I wanted him to know that I had stood in that line because he accused me of not having stood in it so I mm -hmm. actually walked back over to him and I said you know you made me feel as if I did something wrong or that mm -hmm. I was trying to, you know, beat the system. And I just need you to know that your assumption was incorrect. And I was really like, if I had been able to shake visibly, like, you know what I mean? But oh, I know. Mind, yeah, exactly. Like, so irritated. Uh -huh. And so, but it felt good to, to not let it go, to let him know that he'd made a quick assessment that, was an error and the impact that it, it left me so moved that I had to say something to him. Mm -hmm. And I know that he got it. Now, whether that changes anything for him, I don't know. He but didn't I, apologize? I, oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, no. I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. It's no problem. I, under, I also understand because I work with high school students. <laughs> you know, you've been a teacher. You know that. And I've been this way myself as a human being. Let me even not put it on students. You know, sometimes when you get stuck in a position and you don't want to be wrong, mm -hmm. mm. like he was, he was just like, he couldn't, he couldn't accept being wrong. He couldn't lose ground. It was going to cause him to lose face. Yeah. Right. And so he was unwilling to lose face. And I get that. It's a matter of pride. It's a matter of pride. Yeah. But his pride came at your cost and that's never okay for anybody. Any yeah. well, religion, I, any ethnicity, any difference. I will say, and you know, some people can argue with me about this, and that's okay. Because when you say it came at my cost, uh, his behavior did cost me something, but it was still my choice that mm. it cost me something. Mm -hmm. I see. So yeah. you choose there, how to react. Right. Like there are some things my boyfriend will say to me, and on a certain day, if he says it, I'm getting off the phone, pissed off, and I'm going to have to play some music, and I might just cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Three days later, he could say the same thing. I go, are you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, you know we, I think there's always an opportunity for us to um, appreciate where we were that it had the impact that it did, which mm -hmm. isn't to say it takes any responsibility off the other person for mm -hmm. their behavior, but we also have responsibility for our, re our reaction. 
That is a common theme I have heard over and over again in every interview. We have responsibility for how we react. My level of admiration just keeps getting higher and higher because if the roles were reversed and or if I had to walk in some of the shoes of the stories that I've heard, I don't know that I would have been that big of a person and I wouldn't have been as kind. I wouldn't have been as gracious. Um, and I'm constantly humbled by, by that choice. I get to choose my reaction. I'm not letting them decide how I react. I think part of it comes with, and I love that you said you're not sure if you would be able to muster that same thing and then you acknowledge the different experience because I don't think it's possible once you are aware of the distinction Black, the distinction African-American, once you are aware of it, you're also aware of an ongoing struggle. And once you're aware of that, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I, I love teaching civil rights. I teach mm -hmm. government and economics and law. Mm -hmm. And I love teaching civil rights. We're so far removed, you know, from that era. And so they see the videos of mm -hmm. lunch counter and black guys and girls getting beat and you know, just dogs being stuck on people, then why are they marching? They, if I, that happened to me, I would have shot on that person, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like I love explaining. There was a purpose. There was a reason. They, they knew the cameras were there. Mm -hmm. They trained <laughs> they were, for it. They trained for this. This yes. The whole point was to be nonviolent in the face of aggression because it only highlights. It, it has the other person deal with it, like that gentleman that I spoke to at Target. Mm -hmm. I don't know how often he's thought about that conversation, but I know this, even if he never thinks of me again, every time he goes to accuse someone somewhere in the back of his mind, he will remember that he erred. Maybe he'll think twice. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations or ideas of how white people or people of other ethnicities can act more as allies for African-Americans? Um, like, especially after the George Floyd incident, you know, the streets were full of protesters and people standing up saying, this is not okay. Come on, guys. We, we all have to, to come together on this. And I, I don't want that, that wave of emotion or that wave of compassion to suddenly die down. I don't want another Black man to have to lose his life in a tragic, sad, undeserved way for us to start acting compassionate again. Do you have some ideas that you would like to share with us? Yeah, you actually gave the answer. You just said acting compassionately. And I think, you know, I, I'm a little, to be honest with you, a little disillusioned by the response to the George Floyd incident in this way. Of course, no one wants a black man murdered for no reason. But what about? jailed for no reason? Mm -hmm. What about denied a mortgage in a community that he'll be the first to integrate? Mm -hmm. There, There's, you know, I appreciate allyship in the face of the most egregious behaviors, the most egregious racism. Mm -hmm. I think I would actually dispense with the allyship and just say, be a stand for the human race. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want you to simply stand for black men not being shot to death for no mm -hmm. reason. One, I would prefer you stand for we're all entitled to live a life in which we thrive without yes. limitation and knowing that we're human. So I'm not saying that is even a reality in this existence, at least at this time. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that, you know, there are Native Americans who are like just overcome with alcoholism, their communities, there's no opportunity. Um, there's, there's so much going on. I think the best way that all of us, myself included, can be an ally to the human race is to whenever we are aware of injustice, 
we speak up about it. Mm -hmm. I love how you spoke to the fact that the killing of African-American men is pretty much the tip of the iceberg. Like, of course you're going to show allyship then. Nobody wants anybody to die a gruesome death. But there's so many things underneath this iceberg that need our constant attention and money and vote and action and education about that we can, like even just learning about redlining, like I'm reading a book on redlining now, Um, watching documentaries uh, like the 13th or like all these things that we need to educate ourselves on if we haven't experienced it or known other people who experience it and like you said when we first got on today how was your day oh i'm practicing compassion and i've had mm-hmm. opportunities to practice today that sounds like your definition of of being an ally find opportunities to show compassion because they will present themselves you just have to look right yeah in fact i'll tell you something that's really super simple after the George Floyd killing, so I, I walk half marathons. Um, I love walking them. It takes three and a half hours to walk 13.1 miles. And so then I've got to train for them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I walk a lot is my mm-hmm. point. And after the George Floyd incident, I walk the same neighborhoods I've always walked. And all of a sudden, my white neighbors that I would pass on the street Hi, hi, which is great. But it's like, okay, it took a murder for you to get that, you know, we can speak. Because I actually got to the point where, generally speaking, I wait for, a, I would in the past wait for a white person to speak to me because it was just so hit and miss. Mm-hmm. I pass a black person and I go, hey, or hey, hello, I'm mm-hmm. going to get a response. I could do the same thing to a white person. And sometimes it would it would at best get a smile. And I, I just got used to it. It's like, okay, if I say hello, I'm going to get that smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. so I just, you know, whatever. And so then this happens and all of a sudden there's hello. Now I say that because it meant something to me. It, it did suddenly have this community feel like my community. And mm-hmm. it's such a small thing. And so when I say practice compassion, I mean, the little stuff. I mean, yeah, sure. Donate money. Absolutely. Stand in the way of someone coming in the face of harm. Absolutely. But say hello. Say thank you. Mm -hmm. Little things like that will make such a huge difference. Yes. So I mentioned that I read Ibram Kendi's book and in it, he, and how to be anti-racist. He says that racism is not caused by hate and ignorance, but by self-interest. I'm very interested in your thoughts on this. Um, Being an educator, knowing the law, having gone to law school, what is your take on that? I'm gonna tell. (laughs) Good. I agree, 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 agree. Yes. I will tell you this. I have noticed in, I've been in certain education uh, settings where the expectations are lowered, quote unquote, for African-Americans so that they can get their credit, so that they can. Mm. And in reality, it's self-interest. It's because it's too hard to teach that student Mm -hmm. at that way. So Mm -hmm. let's just say you don't want to do the work. Don't say you're doing them a favor. You Mm -hmm. don't want to do the work. I love giving my students, when we talk about polls, uh, P-O-L-L-S, I will uh, I'll actually give them one, and it's like five questions. Mm-hmm. Should every student and should every student get a laptop? Fours and fives, absolutely. Should parents be required to provide a laptop for their students' use? Now we get to twos and threes mm-hmm. because they don't. They're already calculating. Like, I'd rather get an Xbox. No, I don't want my mom to buy me a laptop. Yeah. If I say, should the school district provide? You know, I somehow, again, put it on the state and now it's back to fours and fives. And then I say, should the sales tax be increased by 1% in order to provide a laptop to every Mm -hmm. student? Now, they know sales tax because they pay sales tax. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Goes back down to twos and threes and a few ones. Yes. And I want my point in sharing that is even a high school student 
knows to protect their own self-interest and uh -huh. we do it too. I, do I want healthcare for all? I mean, yeah, but do I still get to keep my PPO? <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes. And so, we have to be honest about these things. Right. My final example is this. I love the beach. I love the beach. Living by the beach is expensive. Absolutely. But do you know, I have a hard time believing when I go up and down the coast in California that there are just not that many black people who can afford to live on the coast. I simply don't believe it. I believe that there are some systemic issues that mm -hmm. get in the way of more African Americans living by the beach because there are, it's not like none of us have any money. Mm -hmm. But yet, yeah, I see so few. And in the communities where you will find them, they are very particular communities and not others. And yeah. all I'm saying is, who's ready to let everyone share in what they have, even if it means losing a little? Now, that's the part that gets everybody. That is. Even if it means losing a little. And that's self. And so I say, yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, that starts going into the idea of common good and communal versus individual and that's another whole mm -hmm. episode right there yes, we, it could, is. Yes, we it could is. go pretty deep there but you're right self-interest that runs deep okay I'm, I, I'm so thankful that you shared your heart on that thank you so much mm -hmm. all right let me ask you your closing questions and we can wrap this up what is your tip to make the world a better place smile more Mm -hmm. Perfect. What are you the most thankful for right now? A year of remote instruction. It's mm, great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a sabbatical. Yes, there's still teaching going on, but you know what I don't have to do? I don't have to say, uh, can you put your cell phone away? Could you put your cell phone away? Hey, please. All right. Okay, stop talking. You guys, come on. Mm -hmm. All those classroom management issues are not around. Mm -hmm. they're not here and I'm like oh my gosh I think I can teach for another 10 years just kidding <laughs> yeah yeah you're not as emotionally exhausted and drained I imagine oh yeah yeah, yeah. and I and and let me add I do look forward to going back I just recognize this I I take it as a sabbatical um of sorts and um and I'm grateful for it I don't want it to be this way you know until I retire um but I am going to appreciate it for what it is today I'm glad you see the good in it. And lastly, what is your favorite quote? Okay, my favorite quote is by Pearl Bailey. To talk to someone who does not listen is enough to tense the devil. I've never heard that, but that is genius. Isn't it? Man, you've given me so much to think about. This has been truly an honor. I am so thankful that I got to sit and visit with you and learn from you and enjoy your beautiful smile through the screen this whole time. I feel bad for others who don't get to. Um, I feel so lucky. Thank you so much. It has been a privilege. And I just want to acknowledge you for taking this on, for not stopping, going beyond season one and just really being committed to having conversations make a difference in the world. People who do that, they just, they, to me, the angels protect and watch over us. Mm, thank you. Wasn't she the most wonderful person? Oh, I so enjoyed our time. I'm so thankful that she mentioned scarcity versus abundance. It's true that it is a mindset and what you see is what you look for. As she mentioned, we are both in our own unique ways working towards the same end, helping voice the stories of black people in America. We're co-workers for a larger cause. Our country needs as many of these conversations as we can get. Robin's words on allyship were poignant and hard hitting. Allyship is not enough. Sometimes, I think, as white people, we pat ourselves on the back and say, but I'm on their side. I marched in a rally. I have black friends. I have a Black Lives Matter sign in my yard. Great, but what are you doing about it? I've actually had someone ask me that. Oh, my gut reaction was to wince and say, oh, probably not enough. But then I thought and responded to him honestly with, well, 
I'm educating myself in Black history from Black authors. I'm、uh, also listening to people's lived experiences. I'm learning about systemic racism, and I'm dialoguing with white friends about it all. Do you agree with Robin's statement that we're all entitled to live a life in which we thrive without limitation? If so, what are you doing about it? This question is challenging because it disrupts our comfort zone. It requires that we take a stand, sometimes at the expense of friendships, convenience, what, and what others might think of us. It's the equivalent of putting our money where our mouth is. If you would love to hear more stories like those found on Gramercy, please check out Robin's podcast, 365 Brothers, on any podcasting platform. As Robin says, you will discover the breadth and depth of black men in America. It will expand your world, your heart, and your understanding, as it has mine. I'll close with a quote from Robin's dream dinner guest, the singer and songwriter, Prince. He's known for saying, Compassion is an action word with no boundaries. May we all be inspired to try acts of compassion by simply smiling more and saying hello to people different from us, just as Robin has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.